0: Welcome to Calvary Chapter Elizabeth City's Online Serving Series. Join us this week for Mark Chapter 14, Verses 27-42 through with Pastor John King. And thank you Pastor John. Easy name to remember. Good morning everybody. Well today we're going to be in Mark Chapter 14 again. We're going to continue through. As I said, that's the longest chapter in uh, the book of Mark. Gospel of Mark. We'll be in verses 27 through 42 today. 27 through 42 of Mark 14. Last week, Jesus rewrote the meaning of the Passover. No longer were the sheep and the goats and the bulls needing to be sacrificed to atone for the sins of God's people. Jesus announced to his disciples that his very own blood would be offered as a new covenant between God and man. Today we will go deeper into the heart and mind of our Lord as he agonizes over the fact that he who had no sin would literally become sin and be separated from the Father for the first and the only time. His hour of intense anguish and sorrow over that coming reality would give Satan one last chance to tempt Jesus to choose His will over the Father's will. And so that's what we're going to do. And join me as we read our passage for today. Again, we're in verse 27 of chapter 14. It says, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee, but Peter said to him even if you even if all are made to some stumble yet I will not be and Jesus said to him assuredly I say to you that today even this night before the rooster crows twice you will deny me 3 times but he Peter spoke more vehemently if I have to die with you I will not deny you and they all said likewise verse 32 Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And then he came and found them sleeping. And he, he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for opening this door, opening this little window for us to have a deeper understanding of the the tragic uh, pain and anguish that Jesus went through on our behalf. Yet, Lord, it was your plan all along. Father, you knew best. And as we see today, we will see in this passage that, Lord, Jesus has, has come in full agreement and, and fully Um, submitted to your will Lord God and so Lord may that be true of us may may we be ones who will submit to your will no matter what area of our life whatever we're holding back from you Lord God may it change today because we'll see today that through our Lord Jesus' great sacrifice he withheld nothing so Lord go before us this morning speak to our hearts as only you can Pray this all in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, "Amen." So, as we left off from last week, you notice that uh, you know Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper, and now they're walking back to one of His favorite places on Gethsemane. And while they're walking, Jesus said to them uh, a very uh, a very striking thing. He said, "As they're walking, you know, having given this new covenant and having this wonderful fellowship." And all the drama that was going on with, with uh, um, Judas having departed the, the supper early. And then he makes this, this comment, Jesus says, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written. You know, Jesus' life and, and much of his life was prophesied in the Old Testament. And so apart from you know, where we are right now in today's world of prophecy, you know, there's nothing more needs to happen as far as that before the rapture of the church. But Jesus, he fulfilled, continuously fulfilled the, pro- the, the, the prophecy of the Old Testament saints and the writings. But he says, all of you will be made to stumble. Now that word stumble is, uh, is where you get the Greek word scandalizo. It's where we get the, the word scandal or scandalous. But if you have a King James Version, or an NASB, or an NIV, you'll notice that the word actually says to fall away. And this is a metaphor to describe a lapse of faith. Just as Jesus had just declared that one, Judas, would permanently betray him, he said that at the Last Supper, now he informs the remaining eleven that they would temporarily abandon him. They'll be scattered. And he said, the reason why is because of me this night. Now, the the phrase we need to understand, the phrase stumble or, as we said, fall away, does not mean that the disciples would lose their faith in Jesus, but that their courage in following him during the upcoming intense events would fail them and they would forsake him. You know, when we fall to sin and temptation sometimes, and we, knew, we do it willingly, we know what we're doing. We know that we are weak sometimes, our faith is weak, that we don't believe we can have victory over sin. And so we, we forsake the Lord. But that doesn't mean we've lost our salvation. And of course, Jesus said, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, Zechariah 13, 7. But then he gives him a very hopeful Word He says, but after I have been raised, what's he talking about? He's talking about his bodily resurrection. You see, Jesus never, ever speaks of his death and his suffering and his crucifixion without also talking about his resurrection. You see, there's hope. There's hope for everyone who has put their trust and faith in Jesus, no matter what's going on now, no matter what condition you're in whether your body's failing you or your situation in life is unbearable or you you sense that it is, there is always hope. He says, I will go before you to Galilee. So he already knows that he's going to suffer and he's going to die, but he always brings hope. He proves to them that their falling away would only be temporary by saying this. He affirms to them the certainty of his resurrection. You see, for everybody... Death may be real. In fact, we know that it is. But it is not final. Death is not final. Not for anybody. Whether you spend eternity with God in heaven or whether you spend eternity apart from God in hell. Verse 29, Peter, though, you know, you leave it to Peter to chime in here, won't you? We pastors get to pick on Peter all the time. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because we, we see, all of us, we see a lot of Peter in ourselves. He says, well, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Boastful. Peter's being very boastful. You know, in the face of Jesus' courage and the power, both presently and in what he would soon accomplish, Peter decides to put on a display of pride that the Lord would quickly have to deal with. We, uh, If you follow the parallel Gospels, you realize that this wasn't the first time Jesus had to deal with this. And most recently, in that sort of chronology that we're in, uh, over in Luke 22, verses 31 through 34, we see the Lord, you know, again, Peter's being very boastful, and, and the Lord says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat but i have prayed for you that your faith shall not fail and when you have returned to me strengthen your brethren but he said to him lord i am ready to go with you both to prison and to death again he still he won't put it down and then he said to him jesus he said i tell you peter the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you even know me And we see the same thing in verse 30. Peter is in his boast. He said, if all are made to stumble, not I. And he says, but assuredly I say to you, Peter, even this night before the rooster crows twice. And he says the same thing. You will deny me three times. The rooster crows twice. Uh, You know, it's approximately midnight right now in their their setting. Here they are in in the Garden of Gethsemane. they just entered. And it's been a long day. It's been a very long day and now it's about midnight. And uh, roosters can, if you ever anybody owns a rooster or knows had a neighbor that owns a rooster, they can actually start crowing at about 3 a.m. They can start to really let it go. I'm thankful. I have chickens. We have chickens, but we don't have any roosters. <laughs> For that reason. Yeah, why? But he says, you will deny me. That word deny me is... is what it means is to affirm that a person has no acquaintance whatsoever or no connection with somebody. It's like me looking at Pastor John and saying, I don't even know that guy. Who is that guy? I have no idea who he is. With a straight face, an honest face. I can't keep a straight face when I say that to you, John. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, goofy illustration. But Peter said vehemently, you know, he says, look, if I have to die with you, you know, it, again, no wonder Peter gets picked on so much. Imagine telling God that he is wrong. I mean, I know we argue with God sometimes. But in this situation, when clearly you, you know you're standing before God, do you, do you really have uh, the nerve? Do you really have the, the gall to tell God that he's wrong? Peter did. If I have to die with you, I will do not deny you. You know, we say talk is cheap, isn't it? Talk is cheap. And look what it did to his disciples. You know, everybody else is like, they all said likewise. Yes, yes, you know, they followed him. Peter's overconfidence had spread to all of the disciples. So now they're all saying this. You know, here's Jesus. He's probably just going, man, you guys are something else. What a handful of people. What a handful of guys. Who chose you anyway? That's probably what Jesus is thinking. Just kidding. He says that to you you and I all the time, doesn't he? One writer put it this way, The pride of the eleven was set sharply against the meekness of our Lord Jesus Christ. As he entered the moment of his greatest hum- humiliation, later that day he would die on the cross to bear their sins, including the foolish pride they exhibited in the moment, along with the sins of all who would believe in him. And after his resurrection, he would graciously restore Peter Peter and the others to himself, and then he would commission them for full-time mission, ministry and missionary work. That's what he does. That's once you surrender to him, and you know, he takes you with all that you bring, all your messed up stuff, your pride, everything, he takes you, and he kind of, after you realize that you need to surrender your life to him, he picks you up, he dusts you off, and he sends you out on a mission. And he has a full-time mission for everybody. You don't have to be a a paid clergy. You don't have to be somebody who does this every Sunday to realize that you have a mission. God's got a mission for you, whether it's raising your children, whatever season you're in, raising godly children, what an awesome, awesome privilege that is and how necessary and needed it is today in this world. Or serving others at your workplace, being there every day on time to do your job, not complaining about it. Bringing glory to Jesus Christ. And telling others of your love for Jesus and his love for you. It's so important for us. Now we move into the next phase of our, of our narrative today Jesus' agony begins. Jesus', is, you know, if you ever think you're going through agony and you're going through trouble, this is a sobering passage, folks. It's a very sobering passage. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane is a garden at the base of the Mount of Olives. As I said earlier, it's one of Jesus' favorite places. Many people believe it was kind of a walled garden, possibly a private location. And it's one of his favorite places. But along the way, he has to cross over the brook or the valley, the Kidron Valley. And in that valley, there's a brook right at the very bottom of it called the, 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 the Brook of Kidron. It runs along the eastern side of Jerusalem. Now, keep in mind that they just had this Passover service, this great Passover, two to three million people. And all, as we said last week, all of these thousands upon thousands of animals' blood was shed and spilled onto the ground and poured onto the base of the altar. Where do you think all that blood goes? Where do you think all the blood of those goats and, and and bulls and everything, where do you think it ended? I mean, it surely it didn't stay within the temple mount. It had to have a way out, right? Well, archaeology and Jewish history show that this brook, this kidron brook, was the destination to where the blood of the sacrificed animals, and again, there were thousands, would drain from the base of the altar. There were holes placed in the base of the altar. And they would soak through the ground in the temple complex to an elaborate underground drainage system. The details of this drainage system are found in the ancient Jewish commentary on the Old Testament known as the Mishnah. There's a lot been written about this. But it's interesting for you and I to wonder as Jesus crossed that Kidron Valley and that brook that would be running blood red with the sacrifice of idols. Having just established the new covenant, just a few hours earlier, he had just shed, he said, my shed blood. And even if the blood wasn't running through that brook, the stench of it would be, still be there. And interesting what he would think. Because all of that has been taken away. All of those sacrifices in that sacrificial system has been removed. But imagine what he's thinking as they get ready to head up into the garden. And he arrives at Gethsemane. Gethsemane means uh, an oil press or an olive press. There were olive trees there. There still are to this day. Doubtful that they're from Jesus' time, though there are many claims. They're very old trees. You can see all the pictures. But it's a press. It's an oil press where they would squeeze the oil out of the olives the name of this oil-pressed Gethsemane would now be symbolic of his now being pressed very hard by the Father, by the weight of his mission that lay ahead of him. And so he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So eight would remain at the entrance of the garden. But when he says, sit here while I pray, his words suggest that you guys, you guys should be praying too. You guys could join me in prayer. You know, we got together this morning. We had our time of prayer. But he's getting ready to enter this this agonizing hour of prayer. He would see great trials coming. Billows of temptation would roll upon him, which would become heavier and heavier and heavier. Verse 33, And then he took Peter, James, and John with him. You know, this was the inner circle, along with Andrew. He didn't come this time. Three of Jesus' closest disciples, remember they were the ones who sat on the Mount of Transfiguration, or I should say they fell asleep on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then they woke up to see Jesus in his glory. It's interesting to note when we look at these two events, these two great events of Jesus being seen in in a much different light than they're used to seeing him. First glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration and now suffering like they've never seen him suffer before. And both times they fell asleep. You see that in Luke 9, 28 through 32. And it says, He began to be troubled and deeply distressed. The words distressed and troubled describe the intense emotional, psychological, and spiritual suffering that Jesus was experiencing. Jesus knew what was about to happen to him on the cross. You can take that slide down. Thank you. Back to our text. It says troubled. He was anguished. Now this this word deeply distressed. It, it, it means in a sense to be greatly amazed. Also to be very uncomfortable. To be very... To, to sense that they weren't... You know, you're just not in the right place. This is... there's. I'm not at home here. This is something he's experiencing. Jesus knew that he had to be separated from God for the first time in his eternal existence. This is what he's coming up against when he comes to the cross. And he knows that's not long. It's a couple hours away. His home, his place, his very being was with God throughout all eternity. And now, in Gethsemane, Jesus was facing this separation from God, which uh, would be on the cross. He was going to be cut off from God, He was going to be left alone to bear the sins and judgment of men. And he again felt the terrible emotions and distress of being left all alone. You know, you know the feeling, you know, to some degree. You know the feeling of being felt that you're alone, that you're alone in whatever trial or struggle you're going for. Sometimes you even feel like you're cut off from God. Well, this is our Lord and Savior. Never been separated is going to experience the very thing. He's going to have this experience of being left homeless. Mark is describing Jesus' human emotions. Remember, he is 100% man and 100% God. And you see in verse 34, Jesus confirms with his very own words what he's going through. He says to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Again, that word soul, that's where the Greek word psyche comes from. It's the seed of all of our feelings, our desires, and our affections. That's how they express it. And he says, that, I'm feeling exceedingly sorrowful. Remember, Jesus was truly a man of sorrows. A man of sorrows, we read in Isaiah. Isaiah. And he says, I'm so exceedingly sorrowful almost to death. In other words, the sorrow is so heavy and it's so great that I'm almost dying from it. My life could be taken from me. John MacArthur writes, The wave of anguish that flooded Jesus' mind was so intense it nearly killed him, causing his subcutaneous capillaries to dilate and burst so that his sweat, was like drops of blood, which you read in Luke's account in Luke twenty-two forty-four. 44. Yet Jesus says to them, stay here and watch. Stay right here. Be vigilant and awake. I need you vigilant and awake. I need you to be with me. I need you to pray with me as I go through this time of trouble. That's what Jesus is asking from his disciples. You recall Job's story, in Job 2, verses 11 through 13. We see that when Job's three friends heard of all the, the adversity and all the terrible things that he'd gone through and that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. For they all made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar, they didn't even recognize him. Speaking of Job, they lifted their voices and they wept and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. But look what they did. They sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his grief was very great. Jesus was asking his disciples to sit with him and to pray for him. And to be with Him. They didn't have to say anything. They didn't have to do anything other than that. You know, we're not used to seeing Jesus this way, are we? We've gone through the book of Mark and we've seen His great power. We've seen Him in control over the demons. We've seen Him overcome disease and sickness. Even death. We've witnessed His authority over natural elements. His authority over the Scriptures. We've seen Him display righteous anger. We've seen him full of love and compassion for others. We've seen him literally pour out his life to minister to a lost and dying world. But we don't see Jesus like this very often, do we, folks? We're not used to it. The question may come up in your own mind as you re- reflect on this. You know, you know, what, what is my attitude? What is my attitude about suffering? Typically... I, and and you, I could guess, would, would try to avoid suffering. You would even despise suffering. You'd want to try to relieve your suffering. This is all a natural thing that we would do. Even though it doesn't always work out. Sometimes our suffering lasts much longer than you and I want it to. But what is our attitude about it? If the Lord, in, if He inhabits our being and if He is, uh, he is our Lord of all, He's the one who is going to come get us and take us to heaven with Him. Doesn't He know that we're going through that? Doesn't He understand? The answer is yes. And You may feel alone during that time, but we don't live on our emotions. We live on our promi- the promises in the Word of God. Now, really, when you talk about suffering as a Christian... Has it really tested the genuineness of my faith? Maybe you're a new believer and everything's really nice right now. Everything's just, you know, wonderful. But I know personally that most of you have been believers for a very, very long time. So if you haven't had a test of your faith yet, you can guarantee that you will many times through your life. But you can draw comfort that Jesus suffered and he was tested too. That's what sets our faith apart from all the world's religious systems and philosophies. Because Jesus was a man, 100% man. A person, human, and 100% God. We never want to not say that. But he can relate to every type of suffering we have. Every single type. He's, he's totally familiar with it. I mean, how can he, you know, he sits on the right hand of the Father right now and, and he ever intercedes on our behalf right now. You know, he's he's got, he's, he's legit, if you will. You might say in a very crass term, and I don't mean to use this, he's got street cred. He's got street credibility because he's lived through it. And that's the God you and I serve. He's not some distant thing off in the farthest reaches of the universe that we can't see only holding us in judgment and fear he's our lord and the very fact that god has presented us with the details of jesus's suffering here and fore- foretold by the prophet remember isaiah 53 says said he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was he was at, he was beaten so bad is what he's referring to. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Talks about our, our pride and our, our pushback against God, but when we see it look, in the least sense, when you look at Jesus' suffering and we're getting ready to talk about it his passion over the next couple of Sundays. In the least sense, it's sobering and humbling no matter how many times we encounter these passages. And when you truly take the time to consider the weight of all the world's sin being placed on our Lord, and the wrath of the Father was going to be poured out upon His body and the soul of Jesus as an offering of atonement for our sins, taking our penalty, is truly humbling and truly sobering. Now we go into our next section here where Jesus starts to petition the Father. It says here, in verse 35, that he went a little further and he fell to the ground. prostrated. he fell flat onto the ground. He needed to get alone with God the Father because the pressure and the weight of what he was about to do was becoming unbearable. And then he prayed, he said, if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. The hour refers to his, it's a constant symbol of his suffering. Here and on the cross to come. Where he'll be separated from God on behalf of mankind. And as he prays, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. That word Abba. It's like saying dad or or daddy. There's something about that when you hear that from a child, if you're a father or even as a mother. He said, All things are possible. Everything is possible for you. Because you can do anything. You're all powerful. You're 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 my father, you're Abba Father. The eyes of a child who looks at their father or their parent and sees and says, you know, my dad can do anything. <laughs> I mean, he can, he can climb trees, He can whatever he wants to do, he can do for me and he can take care of me. And we're, this is where Jesus places himself. This is how he articulates to the father. See, we're given a glimpse of Jesus's prayer life. And this would have been during the time when they were, had fallen asleep and maybe heard a part of what they said. Because Mark, you know, Peter was an eyewitness to this, and Mark recorded it. One writer puts it this way, As the Lord articulated, nothing is outside of the power, the privilege, and the prerogative of God to do. Yet Jesus also knew that God never acts contrary to his character his purpose, or his word. Clearly, he was not asking the Father to violate his redemptive plan or go back on his promises. Instead, Christ's petition was an inquiry into whether or not redemption might be accomplished through some other means. If there was another way for you to do this, he says, Father, then take this cup away from me. What is this cup? What does this mean? It's an ancient expression of a person's experience, whether it's joyous or sorrowful. It's the light. It could be your life. It could be an event. The cup. Remember that the human nature and the will of Jesus is clearly seen in this request. He was as much a man as any man is. Therefore, he begged God to choose another way than the cup, if possible. The experience of being separated from God upon the cross was too much for Jesus to bear. But notice what he says. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. In other words, not my desire, but your desire 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he who had made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The father's silence tells the story. It can only be this way, son. He didn't have to say it because he didn't respond to what Jesus said. And the Lord knew it. So this comes to, you know, kind of brings questions. I mean, you might say, well, why was Jesus asking the Father a question that he already knew the answer to? Why was he doing that? Several reasons. One, for us to show his complete submission to the Father. It was through his surrender that Jesus was made perfect and stood before God as the ideal perfect man. He had to go through this. For him, it was to prove and to show that he was completely holy and sinless. And because of his sinless nature, he would not have wanted to become the bearer of sin and experience God's wrath. He, he, didn't, he never sinned his entire life, and he didn't want to take it upon himself. But for us, so that we would have a deeper love and appreciation of Jesus' great sacrifice on our behalf. For Jesus, in his humanity, he was asking the Father if this redemption might be, if it were possible, accomplished another way. For us, it's to know that the question had been asked. And Jesus' death and suffering is the only way. For Jesus, it was the ultimate spiritual battle between him and Satan. The devil had tempted him at the beginning of his ministry after 40 days of fasting when he was physically weak. You remember that. He offered him power and authority if he would only bow down to the enemy, to Satan, and worship him. Mark 1.13. It says that Jesus was there in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered to him. So now as the time is getting closer to his victory on the cross and the resurrection, the enemy was given one last shot to try and get Jesus to surrender to his humanity, to his own will. Luke twenty-two fifty-three. Jesus said this when they came to get him. He says, when I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. I was easy pickings back then when I was teaching in the temple. But this is your hour. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Satan. He's speaking to the devil and the enemy. This is your hour and the power of darkness. And it says in Luke 22, 43, that an angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him. Through all his suffering, through all his questioning, an angel came from heaven and strengthened him. Just like when he strengthened, the angels came and ministered to him the first time he was tempted by Satan. For you and I, we need to think about our prayers. This should change our prayer approach. We often come with requests, and he hears our requests. And we have very specific requests, and there's nothing wrong. And we will continue to do that. But something we need to learn right now. In many cases, praying is not to get God to change his mind. Prayer is to align our desires and the will to God's desires and will. Jesus willingly placed his desires in submission to his Father's will. Next we come to Jesus' hour. Jesus' hour had now come. Now, you know, here in in verse 37, you know, we kind of get a little bit of a light moment here. It's like, uh, when he came and found them sleeping, he said to Peter, you know, Jesus put aside his struggle to check on his men. And the first one he comes to is Peter. And he says, Peter, and then he says, Simon, (laughs) are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour now, remember just a little while ago, Simon was very boastful. He was very proudful. P- Peter says, you know, I would die. If I have to die for you, I'll die. I'm, he was so vehement and he was so proud. And Jesus says, all I'm asking for is one hour. One hour that you would sit and pray with me. And, you know, sometimes we, when you think about how long you pray, th- have you ever prayed for an hour? I, I want to say it's doubtful that you've ever prayed for an hour straight. Try praying for 10 minutes and see how long that is. That's a long time. He says in verse 38, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Remember the sinner's prayer. Leave me not into temptation, deliver me from the evil one. Jesus knew that their time of testing and trouble would come. Likewise for us, he sits, like I said earlier, at the right hand of the Father, and he prays for us all the time. Right now. Right now. And he said, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Romans seven eighteen. Paul lamented. He said, For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. And verse 39 says, Jesus, again, he went away and prayed and he spoke the same words. Again, Mark, Matthew twenty-six, forty-two. again, a second time, he went away and prayed. He said, oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. So, you know, his agony and his hour of agony, it continued for a while. Each time the Lord agonized over the prospect of putting on sin and experiencing the wrath of the father. But he each time came away with the same obedient conclusion. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. Each time. Philippians 2.8 says, Paul writes, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. A lesson for us. Jesus was resolved to continue to seek the Father in prayer, and he even agonized and wrestled over it. He was not going to stop praying until he knew God had heard him. James 4, 7 and 8. He says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Get with God and do business with God. And then he returned in verse 40. He found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Now, at this point, they're so embarrassed, they keep falling asleep. You know how it is when you're, guys, if you're sitting and watching a movie with your wife, and she slaps you on the shoulder because you, you fell asleep, so you, you were snoring so loud, nobody could hear the, <laughs> the, the movie. And it's a good thing you didn't choke on your popcorn. You guys, know that, you guys know what happens. And they were so embarrassed. They didn't know what to say. They had no excuse. And then he came to them a third time, and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Well, that's enough. That's enough. Now, if you have a King James Version, it says, take your rest. It is enough. His tone of voice has now changed towards them. His time of prayer and agony had actually strengthened him. And that's what it does for each and every one of us. Jesus had now stopped wrestling with the situation at hand. You know, you come away from a time of wrestling with the Father, wrestling in prayer. You don't necessarily have exact answers about what's going on, but you know that you can have peace. You come away with peace. He's at peace now with the Father's plan. He wasn't simply resigned as in defeat, but he's moving with a purpose, actively pursuing the Father's will says the hour has come behold the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners all that had been said before has now come john 5:30 jesus said i can of myself do nothing as i hear i judge and in my judgment is righteous because i do not seek my own will but the will of the father who sent me and so he says rise let us be going see My betrayer is at hand. And we'll pick that up next week. Charles Spurgeon had this brilliant commentary about this passage. Reflecting on what had just taken place. He said, No clarion blast, no firing of cannon, nor waving of flags. You know, we have the Olympics now and all the celebrations. It's a good thing. Nor acclamation of the multitudes ever announced. Such a victory as our Lord achieved in Gethsemane. He there won the victory over all the griefs that were upon him and all the griefs that were soon to roll over him. Like a huge Atlantic billows. He there won the victory over death and over even the wrath of God which he was about to endure to the utmost for his people's sake. There there is true courage. There is the highest heroism, there is the declaration of the invincible conqueror in that cry, not as I will, but as thou wilt. With Christ's perfect resignation there was also his strong resolve. He had undertaken to work of his people's redemption and he would go through it with, until he could triumphantly say on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. So what are you wrestling with today? What are you trying to maintain in your own strength? You know, are you trying to grin and bear it as a rough ride? You're just going to white knuckle your way through it. Surrender to God. Wrestle with God over the issue. What about your prayer life? What about my prayer life? Are you too busy? Are you too tired to pray? Our Lord is not. Our Lord was not. He's our great example. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you do. We thank you, Lord, for the word of truth that comes to bear upon us every time we open your word. Lord, may it fill our hearts and minds to action, to obedience. Lord, may it give us peace like no other. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do. Lord, will you fill us with your Holy Spirit now that we have been filled up with your word. Equip us once again to do your will as we go out and we battle this brave bravely battle this crazy world outside, Lord God, and all the things that are happening. Would you please go before us? Would you please guide our steps? We pray and ask this all in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and we'll sing we'll say this one last prayer together and be on our way Numbers 6 24-26 read with me the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace amen Have have a great week thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.